0: Hello and welcome to the Conscious Thinking Podcast from the Conscious Advertising Network. This is the next in the series of thought provoking sessions where today we're discussing advertising sustainability. I'm your host, Sunu Singh from the Creative Salon, and with me I have Ben Essen, the Chief Strategy Officer at Iris, Matt Bourne, the Director of Communications at the Advertising Association, and the Conscious Advertising Network co-founder Harriet Kingaby. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being here. So, Harriet, let's start with you. I would like you to answer the first question. Why does our industry need
1: to drive the conversation on sustainability? Well, as an industry, we have huge influence around what people think uh, and the behaviours that people perceive to be normal or desirable, and you know our whole industry is about persuasion—persuasion persuasion to do something, persuasion to buy something. So it's really, really important that we, as an industry, get behind this um, because it is the greatest challenge of our time. We've got COP twenty-six coming up this year. Um, it's going to be a huge year for for climate action, and if the advertising industry can get behind this, then I think we can go a long way to changing hearts and minds, changing behaviours, and creating a great narrative for the UK this year.
0: Obviously, the trade body itself, the Advertising Association, and I'll come to you uh, in a bit, Matt, has launched the first ever very significant initiative, uh, which is called the AdNet Zero Plan, a plan to help improve the advertising industry's environmental credentials through this pandemic. But Ben, now with the economic crisis, it's all very well to talk about sustainability and climate crisis. How far up do you think climate is on the agenda of the clients that you talk to?
2: It's, it's an interesting one. I, um, I actually tried to start a sustainability practice uh, within Iris um, back just after the financial crash in 2008. Um, and uh, very quickly realized that no clients wanted to hear me talk about um, sustainability back then um, and I've been trying to work out if it's going to be if it is the same this time around um, I, I, I think there are some key differences this time and, and I think it is high up the agenda um, the, the, the big difference being that when the, you know the last time that we hit a recession and climate fell off the agenda everything was about kind of consumer led. Uh, conversations so it was kind of hey well let's get consumers to turn to 30 when they're doing their washing etc and as a result as soon as consumers started going actually I can't worry about the climate right now I need to worry about my next paycheck and whether I can afford uh, washing powder and you know being a savvy shopper and all those things that dominated the last decade rather than climate um, it meant that that it meant that there was no role to talk to clients about it this time around it isn't consumer-led it's it's organizational-led and I I think that the greatest sort of weapon we have is science-based targets. Um, The fact that more and more organizations are committing to uh, halve their impact by 2030, get to net zero by, you know, our own clients Vodafone just brought their um, net zero target back 10 years to 2040. You know, they're putting these targets in and saying, we're going to do this. And I think we can use that as, ammunition to go in and have difficult conversations this isn't about hey we think your customers might fancy this this is about you said you're going to do it um so we
0: so you better uh, you better commit to it and better deliver on it could you tell us about this advertising zero plan initiative and also could you tell us in detail as to who has joined up and what the long-term plans are
3: i i think it's it's really interesting we're we're at an interesting sort of point in in time if I think about the origins of where our climate work streams come from, around about 15, 18 months ago, we had a, a, a strategy planning session with the council, the AA council. And you've got about 40 of the industry's leaders there from agencies, trade associations, media owners, tech companies, advertisers. And we asked them to essentially help us set the next three years of work. So starting in, in 2020, And the message that came through from the council was all about responsibility, which led to the um, creation of a new mission for the Advertising Association, where we've moved from, if you like, making the economic argument for advertising to actually looking at the responsibility that advertising has towards people and society, as well as businesses and the economy. And one one of the sort of fast emerging work streams that came out of that new mission was climate action. So we have spent the last 12 months essentially looking at that issue and saying, what, it is, what is it as we as an industry need to do about this issue? Because our research, our own research has shown us that advertising professionals want us to do something about it. So if you look at the stats, something like 70% of, our, of people working in our industry are worried about the negative impacts of our industry on the environment. And 91% are saying that if they know the organisation they're working for is doing something about the climate, that will improve their job satisfaction. So we've kind of got evidence, if you like, from the, the professionals themselves. And we've got the steering from the leaders of our industry who are saying, get hold of this issue and... And really sort of help shape a direction of travel where where we can take positive action on climate. And that isn't easy. That's not easy at all. We've spent really the 12 months of of 2020 trying to understand what it is that we can do, what are the tangible things that we can do, and what that's led to is, is the launch of Adnet Zero.
0: So, Matt, on that point, actually, I do have another question, as I'm kind of curious about this digital and data-driven marketing industries, because both these industries do face serious questions over their environmental record. But as I understand, neither the Data and Marketing Association nor the IBA UK joined the coalition initially. Has that changed? Also, what is the long-term plan to accelerate the uptake and impact of this program?
3: Uh, So that's a bit of, uh, I think, error of kind of reporting more than because the IAB and the DMA are part of the council so they signed off on the strategy so we they're very much on board uh, with the climate action work stream um from from the association's perspective and certainly very very supportive of At net zero so it's, it, this is we've got cross industry consensus on on this in terms of what, what it is that we need to do but I think you know, when we started looking at it, it's, it's really daunting. It's a massive, massive issue that touches on every aspect of everybody's lives. And advertising as an industry kind of sits right at the heart of all of this. So it, 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 the, the initial reaction is, gosh, it's really overwhelming. What, what have we got to do? And then what we've been lucky enough as the AA is to sort of form two groups. One, we had a, uh, an action group and a, and a steering group we've had brilliant chairs of those. Ben's been a member of um, the, the working group. Um, and we've really sort of tried to understand, okay, what is it that we can do? And so the AdNet ad Zero um, is, 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 is brilliant. Dominic Mills has described it as half manifesto, half action plan. And I think he's nailed it with that. The ambition is real net zero by the end of 2030. The action plan is a five-step plan to say, this is how we're going to get to
0: that. That question, both for you, Harriet, and Ben, because Matt talked about this cross industry initiative. Now, you obviously know that the UK Competition Watchdog, the UK Competition Marketing Authority, they recently announced that they're looking to have products and services that claim to be eco friendly are marketed and whether consumers are being misled by such claims. Do you think the industry, our industry, needs to join up on those initiatives that are already there rather than launching their own programs? Or do you think that would just dilute the ambitious
1: climate policies? Harriet, you go first. I mean I think yeah, I think we do need uh, a consistent uh, sense of what is greenwash or what is uh, unacceptable in, 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 in when we communicate these messages, so we conscious advertising network, for example, have just done a big piece of work around climate misinformation. And within that, we've included things like what we call the big tobacco playbook, which is all around, you know, kind of greenwashing and, uh, you know, kind of companies saying that they're, a lot, that they're a lot more eco-friendly than they actually are. And, you know, as I said, we've got COP26 coming up in, in November next year. And um, traditionally, we've been told that, uh, you know, these, the, the advertising surrounding these conferences is all from high carbon industries who are trying to say we're doing loads better than we actually are. Um, look at us look at our our green energy uh, our renewable energy when they're actually you know kind of that's only a tiny proportion of of their business um, kind of plan so as an industry I think we do need that and I think we do need to be having tough conversations around um, you know it doesn't matter if this is a big incumbent client can we really answer this brief in the way that we've been asked to Um, you know and also thinking about that misinformation that's out there it doesn't just come from Um, other it doesn't just come from high carbon organizations it also comes from state actors on the internet or it comes from uh, trolls or it comes from the far right we know that as well so I think we do need we need an understanding of, of, of what uh, kind of messaging mean is, is OK and uh, what kind of media placement is OK and what, what, what isn't. Um, and I think we need to coordinate that. And then I th- also think as an industry, we need a strategy for, um, you know, kind of how we how we make sure that we're countering messages out there that are going to try and derail this process. Um, and that's what the, kind of the report that we've, we've, we're, we're going to put out early next year is going to kind of focus on. So just expanding
0: on that, Ben, as an advertising agency, and as you said, that launched a sustainable division within Iris, how difficult it is for the entire industry to be part of the solution to the climate crisis. For instance, do you think we'll ever get to a point where the industry would simply not work with oil companies or companies that are on the wrong side of the climate crisis?
2: Yeah, I I think we need to be very clear, first of all, on what is within our power to change it. And then uh, make that change happen as quickly as possible and efficiently as possible. And I think, you know, particularly the Advertising Association work is really focused in that space. It's like, okay, what do we have control of? And if we work collectively as an industry, how can we change it? Yeah, we we have actually a lot of power. Um, I think equally, we need to be aware of what is beyond the scope of our our kind of you know personal autonomy as as organisations and and a collective, yet something that we can still influence. Um, and, and, and I think you know, e- both of those are equally important, but we have to approach them in different ways. I think the second area is much more about creating a movement um, and bringing in partners and stakeholders from outside for outsiders. I mean, For, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in Maersk, um, not the sort of uh, poster child of sustainability, but yeah, there's this massive shipping company. Um, who have been, who've said, hey, we want, to be, we want to create emissions-free shipping by 2030. Um, this goes way beyond the power of us as an organization um, uh, or any single stakeholder group um, and, and can only be achieved through collective action. Um, but, hey, we're, you know, we're going to kind of go on this mission. Who else will join us? Some, there'll be you know, non-profits will get involved. Other competitors will get involved. And I think that there's a sense of that, you know, that is the only way to approach this thing. You can't, it's not a matter of waiting for someone else to do it. It's also not not saying, Hey, look, we can solve this ourselves, but by kind of pointing you know putting that goal out there and then working with other organizations internally and externally we, we can get there now, if you take your example of do we work with an oil company or not i think I think the um for me I'd be saying, look, we want to be uh, halving the emissions from from uh, g- gas and oil by 2030. That's our objective. So we'll only work with oil companies who are going to do that or if, if where we're going to help them do that. It doesn't need to be binary, uh, but I think it is important to say this is the goal that we're working towards. And anything that, that isn't aligned with that, we shouldn't be aligning with.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Matt, how are you going to make it? For agencies and for the industry at large with ad net zero, for instance, the deal with high carbon clients, would you uh, say and suggest we ban certain style of advertising? Or would you even come to a point, for instance, where you might have a traffic light system to show the industry as to which brands are doing better when it comes to sustainability and climate crisis?
3: I don't know about the traffic light system. I mean, the first thing I would say is you know uh, it's important to recognise the role of the Advertising Standards Authority, and the ASA already has very clear regulations about things like greenwashing, you know, and and uh, you know has brought up companies like Shell, you know, for recent uh, advertising campaigns. And I do know that the ASA are currently reviewing their regulations around climate-related advertising and looking at where they may be further further strengthened. So I think, first of all, we should have the confidence in our self regulatory body to do the job that we need to do. The second, the second point I would make is I wouldn't underestimate the amount of pressure that there is on industries to change. And that is across the board. Everywhere I look from a sort of government conversation, There is tremendous pressure on these businesses to change. If they don't change fast enough, they will not exist. They will not be legally um, viable in terms of the way in which they operate. There's tremendous pressure there. And the brilliant thing about advertising is advertising is all about competitive advantage. I can't see any industry where there won't be competitive advantage in moving to a a more positive impact on climate as fast as you can and in fact faster than your competitors so that's the role of advertising what we've got to do is convince our clients that that they need to get there quicker they need to get there quicker and advertising is a lever to pull to change that behavior and the, and the faster we the faster we do that the the, the more impact we will have
0: now, Harriet, the Conscious Advertising Network and Media Bounty have done a bit of work around climate denial, and I understand there's a report that's coming out. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's uh, it's a report with uh, the Conscious Advertising Network, Media Bounty, Check and Pulsar. And we have been looking, we've looked at the COVID misinformation, uh, obviously, over the last year and looked at what we can learn um, you know, for, uh, in terms of uh, what will happen? We think this year uh, with the, with climate denial and climate misinformation. And there's some kind of really key things to pull out there. I think the first thing is that uh, the discourse around climate denial has has changed hugely. We don't see so much climate change as a hoax. Um, what we're seeing a lot more is of what we call delay messaging. So that's um, that's not necessarily challenging the idea that climate change is happening, but perhaps suggesting an alternative. So, oh, it's not really it's not really man made. It's all sunspots, for example. Uh, it might be saying, well, we don't have we shouldn't have to act until China acts. It might be saying, um, you know, actually, climate change alarmists are hurting you know are hurting our children, and so you know that, that discourse of, of of messaging has changed, and I think. It's important to be aware of that uh, because what we don't want to do is, is, is call for, for action for you know the hoax messaging to be to be demonetized or whatever that is um, you know kind of when there's a whole other discourse out there. I think the second thing, uh, the second big thing to pull out of that report for for, for advertisers is that we're really concerned that, that denial messaging is being tested. Uh, on and using using paid advertising, essentially, um, on the social media platforms and elsewhere to really uh, test and learn around what works and what really activates people. And we have uh, we've seen evidence of what we call four dirty strategies online with relation to climate denial, the first of which I talked about the Big Tobacco Playbook. Um, you will see that when our scientists appear on the front page of a newspaper for some scandal that's unrelated to, to, to the science that they're talking about. Um, we saw it with, um, with uh, Professor Bob Ward years ago at the University of East, East Anglia, kind of leaks. Um, we saw it uh, with, with, with Professor Neil Ferguson during the, the pandemic um, when you know, there was a dead cat strategy around his personal life. So that's the first one. The second one is a culture war strategy, which we see a lot from politicians where we pit one group against each other. um, And we say, you know, it's the elites versus the the rest of us, ordinary people. We've seen that a lot um, in political discourse uh, recently. Uh, We've also got kind of trolling strategies which come either from coordinated coordinated kind of bots and trolls with an agenda um, or, or, or from individual people. And then our fourth one is momentarily escaping me, which is terrible because I've just spent six months on this. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, yeah, so we've got these kind of different strategies that we see online. And the, uh, you know, kind of like I think it's really important to be aware of them because our responses to them and, you know, kind of how we should be aware of them uh, need to vary, vary. And, you know, responses might be that we we beef up our misinformation uh, kind of strategies when it comes to media placement, making sure that in the open web we're not Uh, appearing on the long tail of the internet where there's you know kind of certain areas of the long tail of the internet where there's where there's misinformation or hate speech being spread um that might mean i think asking some questions about why where we can target uh, and make sure that you know kind of pro-climate media and messages um and and kind of diverse messenger carriers receive funding from our advertising so there's an awful lot that that um uh, advertisers can do when it comes to climate denial online as well Listeners, we do have another podcast
0: dedicated to climate denial alone, so you can listen there for more. Harriet is on that podcast as well. So now we come to the last question, and I have that for you, Ben. You talked about the challenges faced by brands, marketers, when talking about sustainability. How do you think marketers should navigate that sustainability trend for this new decade, a new post-COVID world? do you think in terms of taking action or maybe making changes in business models or more? I mean, I think it
2: starts internally um, and, and kind of reminding ourselves that as, as brand builders uh, and communication specialists, one thing we do is we help companies understand why they exist and why they exist for the people that work there. And I think if you look at any of the organizations who are uh, Having any success in this space, it's coming from genuine shifts that have happened internally, um, d- driven by clear leadership and clear communication. So, you yeah, know, we talk about Unilever and Ikea I a lot. Um, uh, I think it's interesting to look at something like Tesco, um, where Dave Lewis came in, ex Unilever, um, what, seven years ago, and um, started to embed uh, principles internally. Um, particularly by actually just getting the organisation to kind of step away from the day to day and think about why are we here? Kind of really getting into I think I think everyone often stayed in a Norfolk holiday cottage and thought about what what's the role of food in people's lives and you know, so really embedding that 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 sense of, of of what the impact needed. And then if you and then looking at Tesco's, actually the way they then partnered with organisations like WWF. Um, to look at how they can halve the impact of a a shopping basket Um, and then kind of looking at ways to drive consumer participation with with, um, that proposition. So I think there's a sense of you've got to kind of start internally. You've got to get your leadership aligned in the same way that Matt was talking about the Advertising Association. It started with a clear articulation of purpose. And obviously marketing has a massive role to do this. this is what we do. We help people work, help brands work out why they exist and how to communicate that internally. Um, and then you know, bringing wider stakeholders and consumers into into the mix on that. So, so I, I think that's that's the kind of first step. And then um, I think the other the other way in which the the kind of the new climate paradigms helps marketing, I think, is this is the science based targets thing. You know, what, what's what we're seeing is organisations making very bold, ambitious goals uh, and putting them out there. Um, with no idea about how they're going to achieve them. So, for example, Lego saying, we're going to have uh, uh, no oil in our bricks from 2030. We don't know how we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to do it through innovation. We're going to do it through partnership. Um, and, but by putting the goal out there, then the work begins of how do we do that? Who do we bring in? And, and I think if you think about creative organizations, innovation organizations that, that we are, we can have a massive role. Now that, that's, that, that that target has been set, we can come in and go, okay, we can help you now. Uh, if you if you're trying to double your profits while halving your emissions um we' we are the kind of business that can can help you do that so so in a in a period where there's so much uncertainty around the future and so much lack of clarity around what what organizations are trying to achieve, I think we can use these these targets that are being put out there um, and and use them as a reason to go and have a new a new kind of conversation with clients um, where we say okay we we are the partners that can help you um, on, on the road to achieving achieving these shifts.
0: Brilliant. That was a fascinating conversation. And also trust the strategy guy to nick all my best lines as well. Uh, thank you, all of you. Uh, of course we're talking about a massive role of the advertising industry, starting with a clear articulation of purpose around science-based targets. And as both Harriet and Matt have said, the conversation is just beginning. Thank you to our guests, Ben Essen from Iris, Matt Bourne from the Advertising Association, and Harriet Kingaby from the Conscious Advertising Network. Also, a big thank you to our friends, Marshall Street editors, and The Nerve. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and bye-bye.